I think I would categorize myself into a type A or a workaholic. And I dedicated my heart and soul into mommy shots because it's something, it was my ikigai. It got me out of bed every morning and I was driven to be really good at what I do. I think today's industry, uh, photography is very commoditized. A lot of people are consider themselves photographers. Um, and I do believe everybody with a, a camera on their phones are potentially photographers in their own world. At a time when pregnancy and maternity were a largely quiet and low-key time for most Indian families, she was among the first to bring in the art of baby and maternity photography. Originally an HR professional who decided she had seen one Excel sheet too many, she took the plunge to work with babies and new mums, making this her main line of work. A multiple award-winning photographer, she speaks candidly about her journey as a solo entrepreneur, a rare woman photographer in a largely man's world. Let's find out what makes Amrita Samanth go never say never. Hi Amrita and welcome to the Iconic Women podcast. It's amazing to have you here. Appreciate being here as well, Kanaguri. Uh, Amrita, I have to start by asking you this. You have been where no one in India had been before you, where you built out that category of baby and parenting photography. And not only did you visualize it, but you actually took the risk and put yourself out there and you made it happen. What did that journey look like for you? It's a very interesting journey when I look back now, because it started at the early age of five when I was given an opportunity to be on stage in school. Now, when you're going on stage for the first time, you know, you don't really know what butterflies in your stomach feels like. So the feeling I experienced being on stage and doing whatever I was doing on stage, be it dancing or singing, was a feeling that stuck with me for the rest of my school and college life, which basically translated to that I kept seeking out opportunities to be on stage because I really enjoyed it until I grew to a point where I realized that the performing arts were my thing. It's a medium of expression and a very beautiful one. Fast forward to post-college when you have to decide what you want to do with your life. I was very clear I wanted to be a part of the performing arts, be an actor or a dancer. And the opportunities at our time back then were very few and limited and mostly worked on the network you had in these industries. Mm -hmm. So I decided to um, further up in computer science and um, at the end of those three years of studying computers, I realized it was a little too easy for me and didn't really catch my interest. And then I moved on to management. I did a double master's in human resources and continued to join the corporate industry for a good eight years before I switched over. So it's been a very interesting journey because all along this journey, there's a part of me that I reserve for myself towards the end of the day where I would indulge in the creative arts in some form or fashion. So there was the corporate Amrita by day and the creative Amrita by night. So what did that look like? What, what were you doing in the corporate world? And then what were you doing for your creative side? My day would be a nine to six kind of day in the corporate world where I would function as a human resource specialist. The moment the clock struck 6 p.m., I would find a way to complete all of my work and focus on the remaining part of the day, which was the most exciting and motivating part of my day. 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. every single day, you would find me in theater rehearsals, dance rehearsals, doing shows, writing for magazines, or any sort of creative outlet that I could find to let those juices flowing. And this continued for a good seven years. 
where I was trying to dabble or chase two rabbits, if I may say. Only did I realize much later that it's going to be impossible to live this life and try and chase two rabbits at the same time because you'll end up with none. And I had to take a call about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I was young, so I could. And, and what was that turning point for you? Um, you know, where you told yourself that this is not me. This, this corporate journey and career is not who I am. It's something else. Uh, what did that look like for you? I think the seven years of dabbling those two lives of mine is where is what led me to realize that there's a bigger calling for me out there and it wasn't my management job. So then it became imperative for me to understand what that calling is, which meant that I dabbled through about 10 different creative careers as a side hustle to understand what I could do. And nine of those things didn't work out for whatever reasons. But the 10th thing I stumbled upon was photography. It was through a dear friend who um, I would assist on weekends um, or during my time off and help him cover weddings. So that was my introduction to photography. The acceptance of child photography, taking uh, the concept of you know capturing children in their natural environment and really making them have fun so you could capture all those expressions and smiles took off really well. Um, I was booked out for six months and it was beautiful. It, reassured me that I made the right decision to quit my corporate job and move to this. And it brought me a lot of joy personally. But what happened six months into it is really interesting because suddenly the phone stopped ringing. I stopped receiving emails. I stopped receiving inquiries on social media. And suddenly nobody wanted to shoot. With the lack of any shoot requests, I started to panic, a very natural reaction. and. Um, I gave it a month. I tried to push really hard online. I, you know, undersold all of my photo shoots just to get work. And I also used that time to create a stronger portfolio. Two whole months passed with absolute silence. And I started to worry deeply. So I reached out to my ex-boss. I reached out to my mentors. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe it's time for me to come back. You know, they kind of connected me with people. I lined up interviews. I got two great offers in hand. Now, when I was negotiating the last part of the offer and I was a week away from joining, my phone started to ring. And I had to recorrect myself. I'm like, no, don't get distracted, Amrita. That was a silly mistake. Get back to the real world. It's OK. Right. You know, you can always do photography in your free time. So fast forward to my joining date. Um, on the third day of work, my boss came over and handed an attrition sheet to me. And she said, can you please analyze this and help us figure out what the next steps should be as you know, a business partner? And it was at that moment when I opened that Excel sheet, I had a sudden flashback of the last eight months of my life, the ones that brought me joy, so much joy. I looked at that sheet, and that was my deciding factor. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was Excel. Or it was just um, you know, a sudden realization that I could be in the wrong job. I'm really messing with relationships here that I've built. Um, it took me two more days, gathered the courage, to quit, but this time, I promised myself, no matter how much, can I use the word shit? Yeah. No matter how much shit hits the fan, I'm not going to give up on my dream of mommy shots. I'm going to find a way to make it work. Maybe you needed that Excel sheet to send you over the tipping point. Absolutely. So when you finally did switch, that was a big risk you were taking, right, at the time, uh, where you had a perfectly promising corporate career and you decided that's not for me, I'm going to switch uh, and do something completely different. Um, what did it take for you then? And what was it that made you continue? 
and not buckle under fear or pressure or so many of these things that uh, you know might stop some of us it was a really testing time for me because i think um, as a person i'm a bit of a low risk taker uh, maybe not today but 10 years ago that was me and it was very hard for me to weigh out my options before i decided to quit and indulge in photography as a career what really helped me make that decision were the tribe of people i loved the most that i was surrounded by be it my best friend who encouraged me that i had a gift here and i could pursue it and kept reassuring me that it would work out and my sisters and my family who also backed me on the idea my sisters were my driving force at that point because you know they kept reminding me that this is a time i could possibly take a risk and um try something new and me being me i made sure that i kept my safety net alive which is that i decided to give myself about 6 months to a year where i set expectations with my mentors with my ex boss and said you know what if this fails i'm going to come back here so you know don't be surprised if you hear me call over you again and um i think what really mattered in this particular phase of my life was what your tribe is telling you there's always a self imposter syndrome that acts up and it's really important to have you know people you can absolutely trust um and and have them say the things you need them to say to you which is to inspire you with the confidence and tell you they believe in you and if you don't have this tribe you need to find that tribe for yourself i i love the fact that you use the word tribe you know um and i think that this is something that we all need you know people to rally around us uh, at times like this so when you were living through these dilemmas what was it that your tribe was telling you my tribe constantly reminded me and helped me reflect that i was born to do something creative if you asked the younger version of me whether i would ever venture into photography there's no way i would have used that word or even thought about this as a career but the fact that that i had this deep inner desire to constantly create in whatever form of fashion and that need came out in so many different ways i think being reminded of that from multiple people you trust really helped me see that i was made for something bigger and completely different mm-hmm. um so what i think i was looking for was encouragement confidence and an inner belief which they kept instilling in me because i would think about it go back to them circle back in a few days and they'd constantly give me the same spiel over and over again till it sunk into me and till i gathered the courage to actually make that switch happen beautiful um amita as a founder in a fairly male dominated industry uh, right uh, i don't know if i'm right in saying so but i've been on several shoots in my life and i think only once or maybe twice there was a woman photographer so it's just not a sight we see very often what has that been like for you i think stepping into the photography space back in 2013 um it was definitely a male dominated space and statistically it still is although i i'm so happy to see those skills tipping out really well today um it was very unexpected because you know when i walked into this space i did not think about my gender but i was constantly reminded of what my gender was how so how did that happen in several instances to begin with when i was assisting my friend who's um, a wedding photographer we'd go on these meetings uh, to meet the clients and you know get a brief on what to expect at the wedding etc and i'd be sitting at the table along with my male friend 
and um, the head of the family would, I mean, this instance sat very deep with me because even though I had all the answers to the questions he asked, and every time I answered it, um, the man across the table would refuse to look at me and constantly look at my male counterpart to respond. And to answer your question. To answer my questions. So that sort of hit me hard. Um, I did not expect that uh, going into that meeting. But I realized that there was a pattern that I was seeing over a period of time. Amita, I know that you do what you do with a great sense of love and passion. And I think this term, you know, follow your passion, that you would have heard so much, uh, especially in the initial years, uh, it's, I think it's just become such an overused term and such an overused sentiment that it can just feel hollow sometimes. And I think that it kind of crucially needs to come with so much more. I'm sure that there is uh, so much that someone needs to figure out before they can actually start doing that. I have so many thoughts around this. I couldn't agree more when you say follow your passion is an overused expression. I think it's a very loosely used phrase as well. Um, it has a certain glam quotient to it. And I do believe that it's also the wrong lead up to asking people to follow the passion. Because when I signed up to be a photographer, I really thought I was signing up to be an artist. And what I realized over a period of time is that I only spend 20% of my time creating art. The remaining 80% of the time requires running this as a, as a, as a business or as you know, someone who's commissioned to do work, and that requires layers of hard work, be it you know, admin-related work, emailing, negotiating, talking to your clients, educating them about this whole new space which is so foreign in our country. And um, it, it took a lot of hard work behind the scenes to establish and do what I really love, which is where I followed my heart. Now, I also know that it's not easy to just you know, tell people to follow their heart, follow their gut, and really go for it, because that could be very misleading, because what you may want to do may not necessarily be a sustainable career. And that's one of my biggest struggles when I was making the shift, um, to understand that whether the skills that I wanted to put to use would be accepted by the market. It required a hard amount of market study to understand, hey, you know, is, is India prepared for newborn and child photography? Because nobody I knew was specializing in this niche. And it took a large amount of conversations with several people in the industry, outside the industry, to really gather um, information and give me that momentum to take it forward. I think circling back to your question, follow your passion is, is a beautiful term. It sounds beautiful, but it's very misleading in the sense that people really need to know what they're getting into and whether this is going to help them long-term in their careers. So what do you have to say to aspiring photographers uh, who are just starting out, who are interested in the field of photography that could help to orient them or to give them ideas? There's so much opportunity out there for photographers and there's enough work for everyone. But having said that, I think my response today is going to be so different from what it would have been five years ago. While there is opportunity, I think today's industry, uh, photography is very commoditized. A lot of people are consider themselves photographers. Um, and I do believe everybody with a, a camera on their phones are potentially photographers in their own world, right? So having said that, if somebody wants to get into the photography space today, the one word I would associate or share with them is commitment. Because if you can commit yourself to the skill and then hone your skill and finish it over a set of years, because it's not an overnight journey, 
is when you'll actually stand apart from the average photographer out there, who, by the way, is extremely good because the camera industry has progressed so much that anybody can pick up a camera and take an averagely decent photo. So what do you have to do to really stand apart and you know, sort of be at the, at the front of uh, the entire industry? It requires plenty of practice, plenty of hard work, dedication, and commitment. Absolutely, there's so much rigor that's built into this, right? And there's there's no there's no shortcut around that. There's no two ways around it. Amita, you know, I heard you say that you've done all the legwork, which was, and you said 20% of it was photography or creativity, and the rest of it was, you know, sort of running your business. Um, in all of this sustained hard work, um, where do you find the time to? Uh, look after yourself, you know, where does, what does self-care look like to you? What does balance look like to you? Kadambari, very honestly, I may not be the prime example for self-care or balance because I have not been very good at it up until recently. Um, as a personality, I think I would categorize myself into a type A or a workaholic. And I dedicated my heart and soul into mommy shots because it's something it was my ikigai. It got me out of bed every morning, and I was driven to be really good at what I do. I think that's also an outlook I grew up with, where you know, if you do something, you do it well, or you just don't do it at all. So the first six to eight years of Mommy Shots meant that this was a whole new industry. I'm starting from scratch. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows my work. And how do I get better at it? Which meant I practiced and practiced and overdid what I was doing, um, what you would call a prolific photographer. Um, so that's what I sought out to be, but I neglected a lot of other things in the process. And uh, some of them were relationships, health, I deprioritized my basic needs and would work late into nights, have early mornings, literally no, no routine at all. Um, it's not something I'm proud of. It was amazing while it lasted. I had the energy to, to drive through all of it, but it also ended pretty badly for me because about three years ago, I came to a point in life where I realized that I just couldn't get myself to function like a regular human being. Don't get me wrong, I would show up to work, but the rest of the day, I felt like a very dead soul inside. Um, this happened over a period of time, and especially it, it sort of crept into, co into COVID lockdown days as soon as the lockdown was lifted, I went back to work. There was a lot of work at that point, And I wasn't meeting anyone since I was interacting with babies. I would just go between home and my studio, uh, which meant that I also didn't have any, any sort of association with other humans apart from my family and the clients I'm meeting. All of it sort of you know, boiled down to a stage where I realized that the two words I knew earlier as just two regular words, mental health, suddenly mattered so much in my life suddenly had meaning, suddenly had depth, and, and it was that one thing that was pulling me down every day. I don't know how to describe it, and also for someone who hasn't been through it, it becomes a lot harder to you know, fathom the, the depths of pain it could be, because it was like fighting a million demons every day. Um, and I was trying to fight through that, because I have fought through everything else in life. So me being the control freak I was, I'm like, I'll figure this out, but work shouldn't get affected. And I sailed through for a few more months until my mind gave up on me. Um, that's when I realized that this is more than just you know, um, a neglect of routine. It was 
what I would call high functioning depression or what my therapist called it. And I started to seek professional help. Um, and the last three years have been very transformative in that sense because I have now flipped 100% and I've focused a lot more on self-care. Amita, you brought up some uh, very under-discussed issues here, right? Uh, when you went through this process, what did you learn about acceptance and about being able to speak about these issues more? See, this was an all-new world for me. I did not know how to deal with the emotions I was feeling because it was very unfamiliar. I've been a go-getter all my life. If I set my heart on something or set my sights on something, I would just do what it takes to get it. And, you know, I was in this space where I could not get what I set my sights on because there were things that were holding me back. And the reason I'm talking about this is because mental health can affect you in ways you can never imagine. And it affects every person in a different way. Um, when I was going through the process of healing with, with therapy, for me, therapy really worked. It was a very painful journey. And sadly, I couldn't really discuss it with too many people because the few times I tried, it wasn't accepted very well. Um, one, because people were so foreign to the idea of mental health that they didn't relate to it. Um, some of them did sympathize. And there were those who just assumed that something's really wrong with you. And I think it was those moments that made me realize that mental health is not talked about enough. And it is, um, it's a pressing need. One of the lesser talked about issues today is also a founder's mental health. You know, as a founder, you're looked upon as this magician who can just wear several hats, juggle a hundred different things, show up for your team, show up for yourself, show up for your business growth, you know, network, and really be a part of a hundred things in one go. You cannot be omnipresent, but the pressure to do so is very high. And I'm, I, when I discuss this with a community of other women entrepreneurs or, in sim like simply put, founders, I've realized that nobody talks about founders' mental health at all and how much we need to be prioritizing this right now. So in terms of acceptance, in terms of healing, I think I've only taken my own small steps to turn my life around in a way where I have a little more, um, where I'm a little more centered and I make uh, better decisions for myself at every given crossroad in life. Did you lean on your tribe at all at a time like this? I actually didn't. Um, I've always been someone who took care of things myself. Um, and it, you know, this sort of leads me to talk about how we always admire people who do a lot of things themselves. We call them bold. We call them brave. And in, in my case, I wasn't, I wasn't bold or brave. I was. So this leads me to a thought about how we admire women who are, you know, uh, who have it all together. And, you know, we call them bold. We call them brave. In my case, I didn't have a choice but to be bold about it, but to be brave. Being, I'm, I'm being brave this very moment, talking about of course you are. this yeah. on the show because I would never would have done this before. This makes me circle back to your question that if, if I trusted my tribe, I'm sure I could have trusted them, but me being the person who likes to hold it all together myself and having done that for so many years, I tried to deal with it alone. And that wasn't the smartest decision. But I'm so glad I at least had therapy to help me sail through the hard times. Amrita, what would be your message um, 
to founders, to women, just to people out there who might be struggling with mental health and also struggling with reaching out for help? I'd say don't wait until it's too late. A lot of us are not even educated enough to address or understand what these symptoms are. So I think it's important to educate ourselves on what these symptoms look like. And it's important to be able to identify what you feel like, which means that you're consciously asking yourself questions, asking yourself about your comfort, understanding your emotions, because every emotion means something. Today, anger to me is a very conscious way of me realizing that I and my body are not comfortable with what's happening in front of me. So it's important to stay centered on that front and constantly check in with yourself or check in with your closest friends or your tribe to know if what you're feeling is normal or if it needs you know, some addressing. And don't wait until you're pushed off the edge of the cliff, but to actually seek help as soon as you can. Um, you know, you talked about your work just always um, taking center stage even when you were going through what you were going through. Um, and I, I want to talk about your work as well, you know, Amrita, because when I go through it, I find that um, it is about more than babies and it is about more than photography. There is a large intangible quality to it. Um, and I want you to talk about that a little bit. What is that intangibility that you're building and creating and passing on? So Kadambari, when I step into a shoot, all I'm thinking about is how do I give this family who's going to be spending the next couple of hours with me, the best memories possible in that given time period I'm with them and create maximum art out of it such that these become timeless for them. Because at the, at the very core, I'm thinking about how what I'm creating today is not so much for the moment here, not so much for me, not so much for the parents even, and definitely not so much for Instagram where all the peer pressure exists. But this is for posterity. Someday, these children, about 15 years from now, will be looking at these pictures and really reminiscing the moments in time of what their parents look like, the joy on their faces, the moments together, and the display of love and affection. In the last couple of years, I had these two instances, very unfortunate instances where you know, one of the spouses in two families that I knew expired. They passed away uh, for various reasons. And the, their respective partners reached out to me at different times and thanked me for those images and said, you know what, even though my partner is not here today, the images you've given me are all I have and what my children can hold on to to remember what their mom looked like or what their dad was like. Um, the love displayed in those pictures hold so much value that those words hit me so hard and it made me realize that I'm not just a photographer. I'm not just someone who's a memory maker here. We're, we're creating history in a way. What is that energy that a baby brings into the room? So babies are the real inspiration why I'm here, right? If you think about it, it's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, yes, they're cute, they're adorable, they're fresh, there's fresh innocence. They're um, you know, new to the world, no filters. It's beautiful. The energy they bring into the room is unparalleled. But actually, they are your visible proof of the human race moving forward, new beginnings for the human race. And it's a very heavy way to describe it, but it is truly that. So um, when I meet babies, I'm, I wanna say I listen to babies and I can communicate with them, even if they're as old as seven days. They communicate beautifully. It's up to us whether we want to listen to them or not.
brings me to my next question, and I have to wonder, um, you know, you work so closely with families um, and with children. What was, what was your childhood like? How was it growing up? Uh, you know, what were your early years all about? I think I would sum up my childhood as a, as a happy childhood. Um, apart from my parents, I had a second and a third mom, which are basically my sisters. You know, so I was very well looked after. And um, I could definitely say I was pampered quite a bit. But having said that, you know, we had, um, as a family, we had our share of hard times, but they never allowed me to feel it or see it because they, they really, they gave me all the comforts I needed growing up. Uh, and, you know, there's that sense of indebt and gratitude that's always going to be there. I grew up in a very close-knit family. I do believe that my upbringing has, is very clearly reflected in the photographs I take. It comes out through the immense amount of love I received from my family, uh, how my parents stood by me at every given point in time. I remember these, you know, cute library dates I would go with on my with my dad, or like the time he allotted for movie nights. I do believe that mommy shots is literally a result of, you know, um, my mother's love for me. Beautiful, um, but you know, surely you work with families that are not as fortunate as your own. Um, and my sense is that you sense that the minute you walk into the room and you interact with them. Uh, how do you take it from there? What is your reaction when you realize something like this? This is definitely not a question I've gotten asked before. And um, of course, it is awkward to walk into a room where you sense the dynamics to be a little off because maybe, you know, um, there are some stressors, which, I mean, parenting itself is hard. And then you try to fit in a photo shoot within, you know, both working parents' busy schedules, and they all come together. I have been in situations where I've seen couples who are separated um, after the child's birth have come together, putting aside their differences, to show up for the child, to give the child memories of and the feeling of a family. So be it a birthday party or a photo shoot, they have been there and they've shown up. So, um, and I try to make the most of it in those situations for the child. This one time I got to meet a mom who wanted to do a photo shoot with her children um, and did not warn me about the absence of a partner. So when I got there, my automatic you know, response was, is are we waiting for the father? You know, is he late or is it just the three of you? And she said, it's just us. And while we're shooting, I did ask her out of curiosity, you know, you know, uh, if this was a conscious choice to have children on your own. And she walked me through her story, which was so empowering and so inspiring. Um, she decided to have kids because she just wasn't able to meet the right person. And her desire to have kids grew so much that she just went ahead and did it. You know, you work so closely with pregnant women and new mothers. What has that experience been like for you? Has that rubbed off on you? Do you want to be a mom yourself one day? Have I wanted to be a mom? Yes, 100%. Um, ever since I was 25, I've always envisioned myself, uh, you know, a home, a husband, multiple kids, a dog, all of it, the works. Um, for whatever reason, I don't think I've met the right person yet to begin this life, but I do believe and I do hope that it is definitely in the future. Um, I've always wanted to be a mother and the fact that I'm actually in an industry where I'm photographing moms every single day, I think that the lack of that missing piece in my life 
has actually made me appreciate that love and helped me help my clients appreciate it more because it's something I've always desired to have, but I just haven't had the chance to. And they have it right there. And so for me, it becomes very important to bring out that love, bring out that bond, which is so precious to me personally in my photos. And I think it really has helped me be a better photographer for families. So much so that um, very recently, I decided to freeze my eggs. Um, and that entire journey, while it was um, um, an emotionally challenging one, was also my way of securing my own future. And I'm so glad we have science to actually help us, you know, sort of make these plans and prepare for what may come. I'm going to ask you a lighter, simpler question now. Uh, what has been your most memorable shoot and your most challenging one? I think my most memorable shoot will have to be um, this shoot with actor Yash um, of KGF fame. It doesn't need any introduction now. And what about your most challenging shoot? Kadamburi, every single shoot is challenging because I work with children <laughs> and they have a mind of their own and they don't understand or comprehend instructions. But if you had to choose? I love the challenge, don't get me wrong. But I think the most challenging will definitely be working with multiples, that is, with triplets. And I've had that opportunity about three times. I love those shoots because they are ovary tugs throughout. <laughs> you're seeing these tiny little cute three babies put together and you're trying to capture them. It's a lot of fun and a lot of joy in the room, but it's also extremely challenging to get all three to coordinate for a shot you want. Wow. Uh, where do you see mommy shots a few years from now? What are you working towards? What does the future look like? I think my interest has always been around helping women and children in whatever form or format when I picked out this niche across all genres of photography. We did an entire series around women who are mothers and are acid attack victims. And we featured them in a series to talk about how, you know, they're ostracized from society just because of the, the unfortunate experience they've had. Or another series, and this is really close to my heart, it's called Scars Are Beautiful, which featured a set of young underprivileged children who were born with congenital heart defect. And um, thankfully, they had an NGO who did pro bono surgeries for them. And um, it's funny because these families did not want to do a pro bono surgery to save their child because they were worried about the scars that it would leave behind. So it became you know, a very interesting topic to talk about and showcase with uh, photography as a medium. And we decorated these scars with a Japanese concept called kintsugi and sort of celebrated scars because they are warriors in their own way. And we all have scars, be it actual physical scars or you know, emotional scars we've had through our lifetime. And it's important to wear them with pride. Amrita, thank you so much for opening up and for sharing your story. Uh, it's meant the world to me, and I'm sure there's tons of women and people out there who are going to benefit immensely. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me here. And with that, we close this episode. I hope you enjoyed this session with stories straight from the heart. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch super inspiring narratives of more iconic women. Every new episode drops on Friday at 6 p.m.